Thanks for joining me for the Friday Reporter Podcast. My name is Lisa Camuso Miller, and I am a public affairs professional in Washington, D.C., talking to reporters from all across the country about how it is they do their work and how it is we, as communication professionals, can do ours better. Thanks so much for joining us today for the Friday Reporter Podcast. Uh, Today's episode, I am joined by Abby Livingston, who comes from a long line of Texans and is the Washington Bureau Chief for the Texas Tribune. But she also is a Bruce Springsteen superfan, which makes her my immediate best friend. Abby Livingston, thank you so much for joining me today. I am so glad to be on this podcast. Well, it's such a treat to have you, and it's so fun to have uh, so many friends in D.C. in common. You and I have, uh, we've our, our careers have bumped up against each other probably many, many times, but we've never had a chance to work on a story together. But you have such a great, uh, your career has been super fun, and what what I love knowing about you is that you didn't start off with the great grand dream to become a journalist. Uh, Tell me a little bit about your background and how you got to be where you are today. Yeah. um, Well, I, I always loved politics in the weird way that most people in Washington did. Like I still remember my first, um, the election I was aware of in kindergarten, which was the 88 presidential. Um, But at the same time, I was really fascinated with television and serial television, um, you know, the, the great shows of the 80s and 90s. Um, but I sort of particularly became intrigued with soap operas and the story structures of how those shows work. And um, so I decided I wanted to be a soap opera writer. And I went to the University of Texas and studied that. And I actually was uh, on quite a, a track to do that. I interned at um, a show called The Bold and Beautiful in Los Angeles. Um, and uh, sometimes there's a lot of strange parallels to Hollywood and uh, politics. Um, I, <laughs> what, I is would it, read, what is it they say? They say uh, Washington, D.C. is Hollywood for ugly people. I, it seems yes. so unfair, but I have heard that many, many times. But at my first, at the internship, one of my to do was to read fan mail. And that, those letters, um, the emails and handwritten letters um, are as, were as polarized as any politics that we've seen today when it comes to the super couples and who should be with whom. And so it was just a fascinating. That's amazing. Uh, foreshadowing into um the uh the where i would be in a few years and so um but after college um i sort of had a panic and wasn't ready to move to los angeles and uh became a nanny um and then um a pair of things just kind of shook me up which was uh maureen dowd came to my campus to speak and i went and saw her and was fairly thunderstruck with her presentation and um thought she was the coolest person i'd ever seen and then um a few weeks later i um was doing my normal sunday routine which was the joke in college was no matter how late i stayed up i had a natural clock that woke me up on sunday mornings for meet the press and so i was yeah so i was watching a, a an episode of meet the press and just Russert was doing his thing and I was like that whatever that is I want to do and so um I, I'm not necessarily broadcast but uh or on air but um so I decided to move to Washington and so uh I got a job in Senator Hutchison's office answering phones to pay the bills and mm-hmm. I spent nine months begging NBC to hire me and eventually they did that's amazing persistence works. It does. Well, especially in this business. I I certainly, I know that myself having been, uh, when I first moved to Washington now 20 years ago, which is amazing to me. Um, I, 
I did the same thing. I took a quick job that was wonderful and, and, and helped me have a place here to call home and pay the rent. But I did the same. I had worked on the Bush campaign in New Jersey, which uh, if you know how those uh, election results turned out, perhaps the Bush administration wasn't endeared to hire a young kid from New Jersey because it didn't quite go in his favor, as you may remember. Um, But same, uh, tenaciousness, a desire to be there. I knew exactly what I wanted to do and ultimately ended up because I had a long political uh, career in New Jersey before I came to Washington. Same thing. And that's, I really, I love that because that is such good advice for anybody that comes to Washington uh, is take a job, any job, and physically get your, you know, get yourself here so that um, you can be in town and you can be interviewing and how good for you. So then, so you started in broadcast and then you found your way to, to print journalism. You worked on Capitol Hill. Tell me a little bit about how you came to be the Washington bureau chief for the Texas Tribune. Yeah. So um, when I got to NBC, I was at the very bottom and we're talking being in charge of the copy machines to make sure they were loaded with paper. Um, Uh But I was so thrilled and excited to be there, um, even if it was weird hours. And, um, you know, I threw myself into it. And um, it's amazing how a lot of people don't and they don't realize the opportunity in front of them. So if you just care and show up on time, you're already ahead of the game. Um, and so, uh, I worked my way up. I worked for, uh, Chuck Todd during the 2008 cycle. And, um, then I went to the hotline at national journal, which, um, it's still an amazing organization, but at the time it was this very unique little beast pre-social media that aggregated campaign news all over the country from local newspapers. Um, and then I went to CNN and worked, uh, for John King and then, um, Let's see. Uh, and then I just kind of had a moment where um, I was in an edit bay. I was always off air and um, just really, I was not technologically inclined in the sense of how television works and the chain of how things get on air. And I was just frustrated. It was not my skill set. And um, uh, I eventually made my way to print and sort of started all over again around 30 learning print. And it was a completely different skill set. Um, and I went to Roll Call, which is the newspaper of Capitol Hill, sure. and um, fell in love. And I think that the other thing is you might be surprised with what you um, fall in love with. Um, I thought I wanted to cover the 2012 presidential. And effectively, over the course of my time at Roll Call, I realized my one true love in politics is the U.S. House of Representatives. And so, <laughs> um, you know, you just you can surprise yourself. And so um, in my last uh after the 2014 cycle, um, the Texas Tribune was sort of this new organization in Austin. It's a nonprofit, uh, and it was much smaller than it is now. And they got a grant and needed a Washington person, and they needed someone who knew Texas, but also who could do Washington without any guidance. And um, I was sort of their unicorn. So it was, um, I've been there six years now. I love that. And the Texas delegation is not, not one of them is a shy member of Congress or the Senate. You have so many gigantic personalities in that delegation that they, it makes perfect sense to me that there would have to be someone here in Washington that can understand that because you can really, um, you can fall into, you know, great conversations, not only about how the Capitol is operating and public policy is shaping, but also about how it affects the people back home. So I just, I just love that. And, and that's how I view my job is 
I'm trying to break it down for the people I know and just trying to use, you know, oftentimes I do get caught up in Washington speak and jargon, but at the core of it, I'm just trying to explain to the people back in Texas what's happening, why it's happening. And yes, this delegation is absolutely crazy. I think it just <laughs> depends on the week who's, who's, uh, who's, who's getting the most headlines. Texas who's hot. Or Florida. Absolutely. I have been, so I, you know, I, I spent some time on the Hill myself. I worked for the speaker, um, it feels like a lifetime ago now, but it always was and always has been just a delegation full of dynamic and uh, powerful and thoughtful uh, uh, representatives. And Texas is super well, um, they're super well rep- represented that way. So that's so cool and fun. I love that you, um, in in our earlier conversation, had mentioned to me that uh, some of your most favorite people to uh, to work with and to to check in with when you were at roll call and covering Capitol Hill were some members from New Jersey. Who uh, you know, it it does not surprise me that folks from New Jersey uh, were fun and exciting to you because having come from Texas, we also are not at a loss for gigantic personalities in my home state either. Absolutely. I think that like these two states could not be more different or more alien when one goes to the other. Um, But I have a lot of close friends from Jersey and I think there's this common strain of just state pride, big personality, um, you know, a little sense of ridiculousness that is always the (laughs) core of any good time. So um, I think there's an odd affection between the states that you wouldn't expect when people meet each other. That's so true. How has your how has your reporting changed, Abby? In um, you know, with you know, obviously we've been home or in quarantine for for a year, but you cover the hill and you cover members that are on the hill. Are you are you working from home? Are you at the Capitol? How is that? Uh, how does that look for you? Uh, I have not been to the Capitol since around March thirteenth of last year. Um, I made a decision early on. Um, First of all, I was there and I was realizing members weren't taking it seriously. And I I was physically afraid. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, the second thing was, um, I, I think it was an unwritten agreement, but there was a people like me who um, are not from a big news organization stepped back and avoided the Capitol. And then people like Paul Kane at the Washington Post and New York Times folks, they went and were very generous in sharing their reporting. And so the idea is we were doing them a service by not coming and bringing our germs into the building, and then they shared. And so um, I'm waiting on my vaccination, but I am desperate to get back to the Capitol. Um, I mean, there's other times, if if not for the pandemic, I would have been in the Capitol during the insurrection. And yes. um so, you know, that's a weird thing to be watching it with my parents in Texas. Um, but for my tradecraft, it's I am relying completely on old relationships and having gone to the Capitol over and over and over again and forming relationships with these members so I can get a call back. And so, um, you know, during the insurrection, I was talking to members of Congress while they were still in lockdown and being wow. able to report from it. But that's not sustainable. So I don't know our freshmen at all. Um, I didn't cover them on the campaign trail. So it's something that has worked for the last year, but it's not going to be something it's not, I'm not going to ever think that you can be a good reporter without ever showing up to the scene. Sure, sure. No, and I think I absolutely agree. It's true of public relations also and public affairs and what we do um, on this side of the the business as well. I think uh, personal relationships and those connections are precisely what makes us successful if we keep those Re, you know, relevant and we keep them fresh. Uh, but it is so difficult. And so for you, you cover the the broad state, you cover Texas as it relates to the capital and, and things that are happening um, 
you know, under the dome. Tell me a little bit about what works for you. If I were to come to you or if a, a, a communications professional were to come to you and, and, and pitch you, what kinds of things do you feel like are working today um, in terms of like getting the story over the line and, and, and published ultimately? Um, I'm very rarely interested in a pitch, um, just in the sense, and that may be just a contrarian instinct, but mm-hmm. very rarely will someone come to me and say, I have this idea for a store. And they, I mean, they do, and I'll actually bite. Um, what I find works better for me is getting to know someone when there is nothing. Um, I don't want anything from them at that point, and they don't want anything from me. And we just kind of form a rapport. And I just have, you know, check in with them. They check in with me, and we have off the record conversations. And then they'll say something, and I'm like, that is an interesting thought. And, you know, I'll say, like, I think that might be a story. Do you care if I bounce this off? And I'll start feeling out other folks. And if other people agree with that, idea I'm like that's a story Mm -hmm. and so that's that's sort of how I work I I, there have been a couple times um the one pitch that I really ran with and it's I have to be kind of sensitive in how I talk about it but it was um a fascinating investigative piece I did um and it clearly there was an interested party who wanted to see the other party get hurt Mm -hmm. um and it was a business thing and um but I basically reverse engineered the information they gave me um and proved it on you know reported it out on my own and um it was a fascinating experience but um rarely is there um I I I especially really don't like opposition research pitches that was a rare one but um but yeah so it's it's less about um yeah, and I'll hear someone out if we have a relationship and they usually take my calls when I need something and I'll hear them out, but that doesn't mean I'm going to run with it. Sure. Um, and the other thing I think that's just hard on your end is um, five years ago, I'd be far more receptive, but since Trump became president, the news threshold is just so high that I'm almost rarely having time to do something that hasn't been just completely on the front burner, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does make sense. It absolutely makes sense. I feel like that's one of the biggest challenges that we have had to overcome, Um, not just from Trump. It felt like it was getting that way, but he really sort of brought it to a a new level that made it very difficult. I found myself trying to weave uh, together for for clients and for, um, for folks that I was trying to tell stories for weave it into this um, complicated uh, equation that had to include the X factor and the X factor was Trump. So how is this story relevant to Trump? Because that was really, that was the threshold you had to meet in order to even have someone um, in the newsroom, you not, not even necessarily my reporter colleagues and, and, and folks that I've worked with, but for the editor to then be able to say, yes, that's something that, that, that's going to, you know, that's going to meet the threshold. That's something that we can report on. So that's really difficult because, I mean, I feel like a lot of great stories didn't get told over the course of the last four years. I'm sure you probably saw many of them pass by your desk uh, because the opportunity was not there to, to tie it to the administration. Absolutely. And it ended up being some of my favorite stories I wrote did not include the word Trump just in the, um, you know, I, I was looking back and I just always assumed Barbara Jordan was the first female congressman, congresswoman from Texas. And I realized there was a woman completely forgotten to history. And I spent, um, you know, in the spare moments I had between breaking news for months, just kind of picking away at this story. And it ended up being my favorite story I wrote in the Trump era. And it had nothing to do with him. Oh, well, that's great. Well, I, I haven't read it. and I, I plan to. It's, <laughs> now it's on my list of things to go back and read because that is the kind of content that I'm here for every day. <laughs> well, thank you. So, um, 
Tell me this because, Abby, I always ask uh, my guests because it's the Friday reporter, the Freaky Friday, the flip the script where the press person asks the uh, reporter the questions. What, uh, you know, the weather is finally starting to get good. What are you most looking forward to doing this weekend? Well, by the way, I love your metaphor, Freaky Friday. And I think um, Jamie Lee Curtis's performance in the the reboot of that movie is the most overlooked acting performance of all time. So, um, but uh, what am I doing this weekend? I um, I am not vaccinated yet, so I'm still living a very, very low-key and restrained life. But I have started a book. Um, it's not a new book, but it's called uh, Enemies, the History of the FBI. And it is just, it is about the FBI. It's about J. Edgar Hoover, but long past Hoover. And it is just a well-written book by Tim Weiner. And I am so excited to just be able to jump into that book and read it. I have, it's been a long time since I've fallen in love with a book in, in that oh, way. That's cool. All right. I'm putting that on my list of things to read because I'm a, I'm a voracious reader and that would be a really great, uh, that'd be a really great one to add to my list. And then, so my final question for you, uh, and, and I hope you've had a little uh, time to, to give it some thought, who would you recommend to be a future guest for the podcast? I would recommend a Jersey girl named Dana Bash. Um, the uh, co-anchor of State of the Union on Sundays on CNN because um, Dana is someone who I've admired for a long time. And um, she is both an incredibly gracious person who's well-regarded, well-respected. But at the same time, she's got a real killer instinct. I remember there were days she was chasing Michelle Bachman when she had ethical problems through the basement of the Capitol. And so I think Dana walks this perfect line of humanity and then the killer instinct of reporting um, in a way that I often step back and kind of watch her and um, try to understand her approaches um, because I think she's someone who I admire and I think a lot of other people do too. She's an exceptional reporter and she would be a terrific guest and I have worked with her myself and I will tell her that you recommended her. She's got a great new show too and I'm excited for her for that as well. She's one of the hardest working reporters I think on Capitol Hill for for many, many years. So I would really look forward to having her. Abby, thank you so much for being a guest on the podcast today. I uh, am just thrilled to be able to, to connect and so happy to have you. Thank you so much. I am so flattered to be included. And that's today's episode of the Friday Reporter. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll see you next time. On the morning of August 1st, 1966, Shots ring out from the observation deck of the clock tower on the University of Texas campus. It marks the infamous beginning of the modern era of mass shootings in America. You're listening to Stop the Killing podcast. Join us as we take you behind the crime scene tape to explain global mass shootings and mass attacks. I'm Sarah Ferris, but more importantly, this is Catherine Schweitz, the former head of the FBI's active shooter program. I spent five years as the FBI's top executive looking for answers to the mass shooting crisis. I've been at the shooting scenes. I've traced heroic acts of bravery. And I've sat silently and listened to the heart-wrenching stories from survivors. Amongst this horror, there is hope. We all hold the key to stop the killing. You just need to know how to unlock the door. Download Stop the Killing and be part of the solution. Search Stop the Killing on Apple, Spotify and all the usual suspects.